Main speaker for the evening, Charlie H. from Las Vegas. Thank you. Uh, my name is Charlie. I'm an alcoholic. <sighs> I get really nervous when I do this. I've been doing this for a while, but I still get nervous. And uh, I was talking to a guy who speaks a lot, and he told me if I ever stop being nervous, I should stop doing this. Uh, uh, because it does mean something to me, what you think of me. Well, I'd, like to, I'd like to be able to say, I don't care what you think of me. But that is not true, because this is the last spot for me. Uh, I don't want to ever think that uh, somehow I've, I've got some time and, and uh, I've got something and, and I don't need you. And the reality is you don't need me. Um, I definitely need you. Um, I'd like to thank the signer. I want to see how she says this, too. Because so. she's so hot looking. Uh, <laughs> 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 so... <laughs> It's kind of unfair. My daughter is a signer. She's she's a, a, an ASL person. She's been doing it for years and years and years. And she does a lot of functions, and uh, I love her to death. First thing, I'd like to thank uh, whoever was responsible for asking me here. I don't want to mention anybody because I'll forget somebody. But I, I want to thank you guys for having a meeting here because this would look, I'd look pretty stupid up here with an empty room. Um <laughs> Uh, I mentioned my name, Charlie Hill Alcoholic. My home group is the sobriety capital of the world, actually. It's uh, Searchlight Nevada. And, yeah. Anybody know where Searchlight is? Yeah, see? Yeah. Would you run out of gas? You lose a bet? Why were you there? <laughs> uh, I live in, uh, I say I live in Las Vegas because Henderson t- sounds too confusing, but I actually live in Henderson on the edge of town. And my home group is in Searchlight, Nevada. Searchlight, Nevada is about 35 miles south of Las Vegas on US 95. And it's got 500 people. It's all mobile homes. There's about maybe half a dozen uh, stick-built houses, but the rest are all mobile homes or trailers, if you like. And uh, there's, uh, there's 500 people that live there, but there's 800 people that claim it as a residency, and they're mostly Californians avoiding the taxes. <coughs> And we have a little group there, and the group was formed about 30 years ago. And it was formed by one guy who moved there, and he got sober, and he got a sponsor in Boulder City. And uh, his sponsor, he, he was complained. You shouldn't complain to your sponsor. But he complained to his sponsor that there weren't any meetings there. So his sponsor said, there is now. And he, he, he said, we're going to have a meeting on Wednesday night. So they started a meeting on Wednesday night. And they would do it at the uh, firehouse, I think, first. And... Uh, <clears throat> It was just him and his sponsor. So they would show up, and they had a little table and made a pot of coffee and got the literature out, and they would sit there for the hour. And then at the end of the hour, they'd throw whatever coffee they didn't drink out and go home. That was the meeting. And, and he was there every Wednesday. Every Wednesday he showed up. Um, to me, a pillar of Alcoholics Anonymous is that kind of guy. Uh, I think uh, there's certain jobs in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm... I'm no, I'm no better, no worse than anybody sitting in this room. It's just my turn to be up here. Uh, and my job here isn't nearly as important as some other jobs. 
the uh, if I didn't show up tonight, to find somebody else to get up here and tell their story it might be better than mine. It wouldn't be that tough. I'm kind of boring. But if the coffee maker didn't show tonight, huh? Come on. Let's say he showed up and there was no coffee. Huh? All right. So which is worse, no coffee or no speaker? So I got to remember that I'm about four pegs down from the coffee maker. <laughs> so, so. Uh, these two guys uh, had this meeting there, and eventually three other people moved to town, so they had a, had a whole group of four. And then what would happen is people would stop in on the way from, uh, say, Bullhead City or Needles to, Calif- to Las Vegas and vice versa and do a little 12-step call in that meeting. And then eventually the meeting got bigger, and people started having nice feelings about it. They would show up maybe once a month or once every two months, and the group grew. And uh, now there's seven people there that are sober from that town. <laughs> And every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, we have a meeting there, and there's an average somewhere between 20 and 50 people every Wednesday. And it's the kind of people who will drive 35 miles to support a meeting. So to me, it's, I just love this meeting. I, this, this meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in Searchlight, Nevada, I believe is the sobriety capital of the world. There are a lot of long, long-timers, old-timers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we're trying to get something put in the format where <laughs> if... Uh, We'd like to get with the newcomers with less than 30 years to introduce themselves. <laughs> uh, just uh, not to embarrass them, but just so we can get to know them. Because uh, most people there have over 30 years. It's really a, it's a neat little thing, and uh, it's a shameless plug on my part. If you're ever in Las Vegas or you're ever near there, please uh, see me after me. I'll give you my card. I'll take you out to my home group. Because I think it's the best one in the world. Unfortunately, he only meets once a week, and I need more meetings than that. So I go to more. <clears throat> so here's the deal. My, uh, my sobriety date is November 19, 1979, uh, which might be a big deal here, but it's nothing in searchlight. <laughs> <clears throat> when I had my birthday, there were two guys that had more time than me getting cakes. Um, <clears throat> my sponsor's name is Clancy. That's why I'm wearing this tie. <laughs> I have a thing I read. <clears throat> I was told by my sponsor to read this. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I get the feeling it's not for your benefit. I think it's for mine. It's from page 95 in Working with Others. It says, uh, you will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusader reform. <laughs> Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they worked with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him if he wants to get well, you do anything to help. And that's what I hope to convey here. Is that I, I, you know, all I got is my story. I'm no great shakes. I'm, I'm not much. Uh, but I, but I'm an example that Alcoholics Anonymous works. If a guy like me can stay sober over 35 years, uh, this thing must work just must work. And I think about what it would have been like <clears throat> had uh, just a short time ago, less, uh, less than a hundred years ago, uh, I'd have been hosed. I'd have been doomed. They would have, who knows what would have happened, but I wouldn't be standing here with the life that I got right now. The other thing I like to say is, is I like to tell you that as I introduce myself, my name is Charlie Hill. I'm an alcoholic and my life is perfect. And that's not just to irritate the newcomers or the old-timers. My life is perfect, as long as I don't think about it. 
In fact, I would bet your life's perfect if you just stop thinking about it. Uh, <clears throat> so here's what I do. Um, my, uh, I was told to break my story into three parts, uh, what I was like and what happened and what it's like now. So I'm going to do that, and I got... Uh, I can't even do that math. <laughs> okay, you're going to get like 11 and three quarters of a minute on each one. Right now I'm burning up valuable drunk time just giving you this history lesson. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I was born in Compton, California. Yeah. So don't mess with me, all right? Um, <laughs> my, my, dad was, uh, my dad was a drunk. My dad was an alcoholic, and he was a blue-collar worker, and he was geographically challenged. You know, I was born in Compton, and he, he thought it was too bad there, so he moved us to Chino. Uh, <clears throat> and then he, got, uh, he thought Chino was a little rough, so he moved us to Las Vegas. And uh, uh, we moved to Las Vegas in the early 50s. And, and I drove down here today. I drove here because I just got a new rig. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's huge. You have, it's a big Lincoln Navigator. you got to look at it twice. It's so big. It's huge. And I wanted to take it on its maiden voyage, so I drove down here today. And I took the back road. And I, I didn't go the 15 road. And so I went down through... Uh, through Searchlight, to Nipton, to Kelso, to SEMA, to Amboy, to 29 Palms, and then here. And when I'm driving through 29 Palms, I could see all these homestead houses that I think most people are familiar with. And what happened is that, is that my dad was a drunk, but my <clears throat> his brother, my uncle, got clean in Alcoholics Anonymous. He was a heroin addict. And he got clean in Alcoholics Anonymous in 1952. Uh, and he uh, was one of the... the maybe a handful of guys in the Los Angeles area that got clean in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he, his life turned around. My dad kept drinking. My dad was too smart for this program. My mother met Chuck Chamberlain in 1947. She was trying to get him, uh, she was trying to get my dad sober. And she met Elsa and then uh, in, saw Chuck, of course, and uh, trying to get my dad sober. It never worked. My dad came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he would come in here, and he would sit in the back row, and he would just make fun. My dad was very sharp. He was a very clever guy. And he would just uh, he would just make fun of the deal. He'd come home, and, and he would say things like, Oh, poor old Bob got sober, and they're all tore up, and, and it's such a shame. And, geez, what a bunch of losers. And, and so, uh, so I knew he was an alcoholic, because my mom sent him to AA. But he didn't get sober. And because of that, when we moved to Las Vegas in 1954, 55, um, we lived in my uncle's homestead house. And if you've seen them, you know, they're just a little box. And there's no interior walls. Uh, we had, uh, we hauled our own water. Uh, we had an outhouse. We um, would go down and get ice from, uh, from the ice house in Las Vegas and, and bring it back to keep our food cold. Uh, we had blankets up for walls. Had oil lamps. It was, we were poor. We weren't broke. We were poor. There's a difference. I didn't know any better. I, better. I thought that our life was pretty cool. We lived out in the desert and, you know, played out in the desert. And I went to school and I felt different. And, it, and it's such a boring thing because everybody I know that I sponsor talk, tells a story at some point in their story. They talk about that, uh, that difference, that uh, disconnection with the human race, uh, the belief that the spaceship's going to come down and say, man, we're sorry. We put you to the wrong spot, you know. <laughs> It's this other planet. I'm telling you, you're going to fit right in. 
which is which is odd because this is it, right? <laughs> anyway, so I went to school and and I felt different from all the other kids because I was I was poor and they weren't. Um, they would do things like uh, they would well they had plumbing, but. Uh, <laughs> But they would do things like, do you want to have a sleepover? And I would never tell anybody that. Do you want to come over to my house for a sleepover? Because my dad was a drunk. And he would either be overly affectionate or he would be a monster. He was a Jekyll and Hyde kind of drunk. And I'm not judging him. He's, I wish he would have lived longer because we would have had something to talk about. But he didn't, he didn't, he never got it. He came here and sat in these rooms and made fun of everything and died out there. <clears throat> he died at the age of 52. In a one-room apartment that him and another drunk had rented. And it was right across the street from the Salvation Army and in North Las Vegas, Nevada. And they would fix furniture and toys and stuff and get enough money to get a bottle. And then they would go back to that room and drink it. And then one night he went to sleep and he, and he didn't wake up. And he died of an alcohol-related deal. And uh, never, never got sober. So I just think about how lucky I am, how way overpaid I am to have gotten here and had it stick. Because when I came here, I didn't want to be here, and I knew it didn't work because my dad came here and he died drunk. So, just trying to cheer up the newcomers. (laughs) This is the funniest fatal illness you'll ever run into. I got to get sober. <laughs> so that, that was it. You know, my dad uh, <clears throat> parks us in Las Vegas, and eventually we moved into North Las Vegas uh, because you know it was it was worse. Like I don't know what my dad was thinking about, but we lived in a place uh, over near Donna Street and Twining and in Thomas in in North Las Vegas, and it was actually featured on on the the movie the show Gangs. Uh, the Donna Street gang was actually featured on there. Not a bunch of uh, rocket scientists. They all, they all put on phony disguises and robbed a casino. And, of course, they got caught, you know, immediately. Uh, that was my peer group. And the, the whole neighborhood, uh, the whole neighborhood was uh, thugs, you know, the guys being tough, and girls, and I was afraid of both. Um, I went to school in the 60s. In fact, they just had another show. That I, I, went, to, I went to Rancho High School. And uh, I, w- I went to Rancho High School for six years. I was just—I was talking about that tonight. <laughs> I'm a slow study. <laughs> six years I was in high school, and it was uh, during the race riots in the '60s. And it was a rough time to be in a high school. Nobody ever went alone anywhere. You always went in a group. It was a real hard thing to do. I got a junior pregnant, and back then we didn't have baby mamas, so we got married. You know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, and then I got divorced, and I came. Back, I went back to high school as a divorcee, and finished my high school up like that. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, you know that ought to qualify me right there. You know, they shouldn't just do it right there. But, uh, but I got in a little trouble with the law, and I uh, got arrested, and they gave me a choice: join the army or go to jail. So I joined the Army, did some time. I did my time, and I was uh, i think the Army kind of saved my life. Got me away from some of the guys I was hanging with. And when I came back, most of those guys were in prison or dead. Um, I came back and became a craft dealer. 
Maybe I should say dice dealer. I don't want you to think I was a manure salesman. Uh, uh, I worked uh, downtown at the Union Plaza and broke in down there, and then I went out to the Aladdin Hotel when it was in its heyday and made a bunch of money, and, uh, and I never got home with it. Now, I swore I'd never be anything like my dad, and, and I would make all that money out there, and I never got home with it. Something always happened. And I, made, I had some nights where I made big money, but I didn't get home with it. Um, I knew I was in trouble. I was married to wife number three, uh, and I was, uh, I was crazy. I was, at that, I was at that point that a lot of us get where I was just insane. I had a psychosis thing going on. I was drinking every day. I never went a day without drinking. I didn't, I didn't trust people that didn't drink, and I drank every day. And it was affecting me mentally. And it affected me uh, to the point where <clears throat> I was doing a lot of strange stuff at the end. But it's a mixed crowd, so I won't tell you about it. But I would call in sick on my day off. There's one. You know, I, 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 I call in a perfectly good excuse, you know. I get all done telling them, and they go, you know, you're off today. I go, oh, my God. So, so I, knew, I knew that I wanted to get, I didn't want to get sober when I came here. I did not come here to get sober. I did not. I came here, uh, I had some friends that would do barbiturates that we don't talk about. And they would, like, uh, buy 50 of them and still have two left on payday. And I wanted to learn how to do that. Because I would, you know, if I had 50 barbiturates, I would take three days off. You know. <laughs> so, I, so I came in here because I thought I had some problems, but I, I would not admit to myself that I was an alcoholic. And I know I'm the only one that's ever happened to. And I, when I came in here, I had somebody say, well, you're in here for the wrong reason. That guy almost killed me. Well, can you imagine that? I'm coming into Alcoholics Anonymous for the wrong reason. There's no such thing as the wrong reason to come into Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't think people get here by mistake. I came in here because I thought, well, you know, I'm going to learn something from you guys that will enable me to be able to drink and use uh, uh, like a gentleman. And they told me, oh, that's not what we do in here. And he, the guy literally tried to run me off. Um, I'm still here. <laughs> I came in in December of 1978, and I came in here because I was going to get my kids for Christmas. And I didn't get my kids for Christmas. I was a weekend dad. I kept getting married and divorced, married and divorced, pounding out stepkids. Um. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> so, but I was going to get all the kids for Christmas, and I was very excited about that. So, so what I did is I marched down to join Alcoholics Anonymous on December 11th, and I wanted to be sober on December 25th because I was going to get the kids for Christmas, and I never got the kids on holidays. I was told not to be around on holidays. But they were, they were going to come to my house on Christmas Day, and I was so excited. And, and I bought a bunch of gifts, and, and uh, I quit on the 11th of December, and I, I go into Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, reporting for duty. And I thought, what a piece of cake. You know, day one, no problem. Day two, a little itchy. Day three, I'm starting to get a 
You know, you guys are looking worse every day. God, day four, we just got off my back. I said I'd be sober on Christmas, and I mean it. Day five, look, just shut up and leave me alone. All right? I'm going to put these toys together. Just leave me alone. And by Christmas Eve, I was a whack job. Uh, and so somebody came by with some scotch whiskey. And I took a drink of scotch whiskey. Just a little something to take the edge off. Next thing you know, I'm gone. And I don't remember noth- nothing much at all until May 25th. I don't- <laughs> It was like a brownout. I like to call it a brownout. If you put a gun in my head, I could not reconstruct that time. I don't know what happened on Christmas Day. I have no recollection of Christmas Day. None. All my kids do. <laughs> um, no recollection of New Year's. Uh, I evidently worked through that whole time, too. I, I don't remember any of it. So I came back in May of, of 1979, and I thought, you know, my goodness, you guys were right. You know, you said... a. a you know, one drink gets you drunk. I took one drink of scotch. I got drunk. And, boy, this time I'm going to stick around here and I'm going to really get it. So uh, I just threw myself into Alcoholics Anonymous like a crazy person. I was uh, I would go to three or four meetings a day and drink four pots of coffee and just vibrate all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and I made it six months. Um, at six months, so I'm kind of a money hound and I know why it's been shown to me by my by good sponsorship. I'm a money hound because I think it's going to wash off the poverty that I had when I was a kid. Uh, I think, you know, I just bought a big old navigator, you know. <laughs> I got some more money. I'm looking at airplanes. I mean, I just think that if I could get all my stuff <laughs> in the front yard, that it would wash off the fact that I was so poor. And I know that that's an inside thing. It's not. Uh, anyway, so uh, I get a I'm sober for a while, a couple months, and I buy myself a brand new Lincoln. I got a good job, and I got a gold watch, and uh, I'm parking my car right out in the front so you can see it as you wiggle past me into the meeting. I'll tell you, by according to my gold watch, it's about time for the meeting. <clears throat> you know, you know how this ends. Anyway, uh, on May 19th or on November 19th, it was my belly button birthday. I was 31 years old and six months sober, so I went to a friend of mine's house that I was in the military with, and he asked me. Uh, uh, to toast my birthday with a glass of wine. And I really thought that that, for some reason, that made perfect sense to me, a glass of wine for my birthday. I mean, I've been sober six months. I should be able to have a glass of wine. Wait a minute. The first drink gets you drunk. So I'm going to have a half a glass of wine. So, so I have a half a glass of wine. And, and they said the first drink. And I'm talking about wine here. The wine isn't a drink as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's, I, wait, now, the kind you unscrew... The turbo wine, that's a drink. But the wine with the cork you smell and you sniff it and all this stuff, that's not a, that's bong water and everybody knows it. So, so, so I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to have this half a glass of wine. A half a glass of wine. And, and I'm going to have this half a glass and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to get my brand new Lincoln. I'm going to go home. And, and you could have put a lie detector on me. It wouldn't have moved. Unfortunately, after the half a glass of wine, oh, man, it was, you can't believe the feeling. Maybe some of you have had it. Uh, it hit my stomach. Oh, man, I wanted to finish the job. I just, I, there wasn't enough wine there, so I left, and I bought a big old bottle of Chevis Regal and some going-away pills, and off I went. And, uh, and 12 hours later, I made a left-hand turn in the rain in front of the world's ugliest car and totaled out my brand-new Lincoln. Uh, didn't even get a, I didn't get a ticket. That was the weird part. It had just rained in Las Vegas, and if anybody's lived in Las Vegas, when it first rains, the streets are like snot, and there's a, 
In the first 15 minutes, there's like 50 wrecks. So they just, they said, oh, well, it just started raining. We're sorry, Mr. Hill, you know, and they called a tow truck, and I went home. Um, I'd lost a job because I was too drunk to go to work. As soon as I called the house, the old lady locked the door and, and said, don't come in. Um, I didn't have that car insured. It cost me all my money to get out of that jam. I lost everything I owned in 12 hours. It took me 12 hours from that half a glass of wine to standing in my wardrobe. 12 hours. I just carpet bombed my life. It was great. <laughs> uh, the mystery was over at that point. I can't drink wine. I know that. But, but there's a part in the book. In the book, they talk about there, you have to fully concede your innermost self that you're alcoholic. And I always had that inkling that I wasn't like my dad, that I wasn't an alcoholic. And that convinced me to the bone that I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic and ain't never going to change. I'm an alcoholic. So at that moment, I got really lucky that that happened to me. And so what happened to me was I just threw myself into Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I'm basically a happy guy, if you haven't figured that out. Um, I've had uh, I've had some issues with that. <laughs> I, one time I had somebody ask me, do you think everything's funny? And I said, yes. <laughs> so I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm going to have a good time. So what I started to do was I started to look around the rooms and I got to recreate myself. I hated myself when I got here. I really hated myself. I, the, the, my daughter, who's a signer, when, uh, when she was two years old, and my son was four. Uh, I just loved them so much. And uh, I wanted to leave my wife. And I didn't know how because I, I didn't have any social skills. I was in the middle of my drinking. And so what I did was I, I kissed them all goodbye. The kids went to school and daycare. And the other, my wife went to work. And I left. I packed up my stereo and I left. And I never said a word. So my daughter and my son came home that night. And what happened? Where's Dad? He said he loved. I know he loves me because he said that this morning. And where's he at? What have you done with him? And and she didn't know, because I just left. Nice, huh? That daughter. <laughs> yesterday, in fact, uh, I got to have my grandson overnight, unsupervised. Um, <laughs> I got all my kids are back in my life. You have no if you're if you're new. I know a couple things about you. I know it hasn't been a good year, but uh, <laughs> but you just you just can't believe what can happen to you by being sober. You just you just can't believe it. Whatever you think is you're just so far off. You're just so far off. You don't even know. So I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm going to have a good time. So. I'm looking around the room to recreate myself. So what I would do is I do the same thing I'm doing here tonight. Is I look around the room and I look at people that are having a good time. People that you can see it in their eyes. You can see people that just look totally clear. Like, this is cool. I'm glad I'm here. You got to see that people just tear my skin off. Okay. So I would look at the ones that were having a good time and I would see what they were doing and I would do what they were doing. No thought. There's not like any philosophical thing that goes on with that. I just watch what they did. I could do what they do. I don't know how to think what they think. I don't know that. But I know how to do what they do. And I would just pick the people out that were having a good time, and I did what they did, and slowly by slowly it happened for me. And I'm having a great time. i got to tell you, I'm having a great time. Um, <laughs> the, 
So I, I'm, getting, I'm going to meetings in Las Vegas, and my sponsor was Dick Tucson at the time, if anybody knows him. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. And, he, and I'm going to this meeting called uh, out at the Triangle Club. And the Triangle Club was cool. It, had a, it was a house, and it had a pool in the backyard. And they had, on sun, or Saturday mornings, they had a newcomer in the pool meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Newcomers in bikinis in a pool. <clears throat> yeah, it was nice. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm thinking, this ain't going to be bad. You know, this is pretty cool. So Dick's seeing me, and he's seeing where my eyes are going, and he goes, uh, come on, we're going to go to this other meeting. And he takes me to this other meeting at another place, which I won't say the name of because I'm fixing to talk bad about it. Um, and I go in there, and there's all these old geezers, and they're all going, if you want what we have. You know. <laughs> I'm trying to just, it looked like the bar scene in Star Wars, you know. <laughs> No, really, you know. And I, when I think about it, I still hear the music. Then they ran it the same way as any of you have a burning desire. You know, Jesus. I couldn't wait to get back to the pool, you know. Anyway. Um. And my and Dick Tucson didn't have, he wasn't the guy that was taking me through steps. He didn't sit down with the book with me, and he didn't take me through the steps. He was really old school. He did his fifth step with a minister. Uh, and he went in and told this poor young guy his story and put five bucks in the basket and left, you know. Uh, but but I got sober with a couple of guys, Bob D and a couple of other guys, and they were, all, they were all doing the steps, and I wanted to catch up. But we were hanging out together, and they, was, oh, they were on step three and step four, and I wanted to do that. So I told Dick, I said, I've got to do these steps. He says, yes, you do. And so I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him. And he says, I'm not going to do your steps for you. You're going to do your steps. So he said, well, how do, I said, well, how do I find out about him? He said, well, there's a book <laughs> with directions. And he, he also said, uh, why don't you go to a meeting, and then when they say, does anybody have a topic, raise your hand and say, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear about step two. I was on step two when this happened. So the first time I did that, uh, they said, would you like to share? And I was stumped. <laughs> that, well, no, I don't want to share because I haven't done it yet. Um, I want to hear how you did the step. And so I got to hear how other people did the step. And he says, and when you're done learning about it that way, you can go to some book studies, bring it back, and we'll talk about it, see how we do it. So there's something happens when you do that in a meeting, if you haven't tried it. If you say something like, I would like to hear about step four, or step six, whatever it is, immediately you're like fair game. And so everybody in the meeting is going, well, let me tell you something, kid. Here's how you do it, you know. And they're all telling me how to do the step. They're not telling me how they did the step. They're telling me how I'm supposed to do the step. <laughs> so I told Dick this. I said, this isn't working out. Because after the meeting, I'm not kidding. It was like four guys had me buttonholed in the corner, and they were going to tell me exactly how to do this step. And I said, what do I do? He says, why don't you tell them that you've already picked out one A-hole to help you with the step, and you don't need any others. And he says, if they get upset, give them my number. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would carry around Dick Tucson's number. <laughs> Just for such an argument, um, 
And uh, But I got through the steps that way. I got through the steps by going and finding the information on the steps and doing the steps. And then he did my fifth step with me. Uh, he helped me with uh, when I actually sat down and do nine and things like that. But he didn't take me through the book like so many people today and like I do today. Uh, I like I love taking guys through the book. I think it's great. I was about six months sober. And I had a chance to go to Idaho to be in the mining business. And I thought, since I was only six months sober, that my sponsor would say something like, hey, no big changes for the first year. Instead, he said, do you know anybody in Idaho? And I said, no, I don't know anybody in Idaho. And he said, you should go to Idaho. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so I went to Idaho. And... Uh, Ten minutes left. What do I tell you for ten minutes? I got to tell you something. I, the, when I went to Idaho, I went up to Idaho. I was a little bit crazy. I was uh, just recently uh, divorced from wife number three, and I went up there and I got rich. And that's not a good thing. I'm not. I'm not the guy who should be rich with uh, two years sober. The, the first thing I did is I bought a Corvette and a Cadillac and an airplane, and, and I tried to park them all in front of the meeting. Uh, yeah. And I managed to go. I managed to go uh, a couple of years, and when I was three years sober, I lost all the money. If mining is kind of like that, so I went from the guy with a millionaire, I was a millionaire, and then all of a sudden I'm to zero and right on past. And I borrowed a tank of gas, and I went to Jackpot, Nevada, and got a job as a dice dealer. And meanwhile, I just buried this girl. I was I was a newlywed, and I and I that's as far as I could limp out of town with my Cadillac and one tank of gas. And then they, they took the Cadillac, and I got to Reno, and I'm sleeping in a borrowed car. I went from being a millionaire to moving into a borrowed car. It was a 1962 Mercury. I went to Reno, and I got a job, and I wanted to bring my wife down because we, we were newlyweds. We just really knew. I wanted to bring her down, so I go get a job at the Hilton. And I, and I went to go get a police card, and I was filling out the app, and they said, uh, what's your address? And I said, 1962 Mercury. So he says, is that in Reno or Sparks? I go, it's in the parking lot. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I, I went, I was there and I got my wife there and uh, eventually I'm a money hound, so eventually I'll hunker down and I get some money and I, I, and I went into real estate and got a bunch of money. And then I started a company and, uh, and got more money and got a boat and some more stuff and, and went broke again. And I, from there, from Reno, what happened in Reno was I wound up getting divorced, and I, I, I got a new girl who I'm still with today. We've been together for 30 years, and it's just its amazing. It really is amazing. <clears throat> um, and we had a pretty fiery beginning, but I won't tell that story because she's not here. <laughs> but it was pretty interesting. Um, so I, went, I, I got run out of Reno, more or less, and went to Auburn, California. Now, the thing I wanted to point out about this is I kept moving from place to place to place. And if there's anybody here who's moved from one place to another, you, you know, they, they never do it right in the place that you go to. They never do it the same. I, I, we go to Auburn, California, and think these, these people are doing it wrong. They're all doing it wrong. And they've been doing it wrong for decades. They're all still sober. I don't know how. Um, I get to Auburn, California, and I'm, I'm going a little bit nuts. I'm nine years sober, but uh, I owed a bunch of money, and I was really, we were really broke. We weren't poor. Could be at a nice house, but we were broke. 
And, and I talked to my sponsor. I said, I don't know what to do. He says, what you need to do is you're suffering right now because you've moved to a new area and you're trying to stay sober on the fellowship that's already there. So what I was doing is I was leaning on the fellowship that was there. That's AA. So I was leaning on them and I wanted them to help me feel good. And it wasn't working. It wasn't working. They didn't know how long I was sober. Nobody's asking me to sponsor them. Uh, this, nothing's working. And he says, what I needed to do was get a fellowship to grow up around me, like it says in the book, that I need a fellowship to grow up around me. Uh, God. So how do I do that? Well, it's real simple. He says, every time you go to a meeting, the newcomers introduce themselves. He said, what I, see, what I wanted to do is I wanted some people who were already there to ask me to sponsor them. He said that I need a fellowship to go up around me and that the only way I'm going to do that is to get people as they walk through the door. So <clears throat> when people would walk through the door, I'd try to pick three, and I would go up after the meeting, and he gave me a pitch. And the pitch goes, hi, Kyle, I'm glad you're here. I hope to see you at another meeting. Hi, Jeremy, I'm glad you're here, and I hope to see you at another meeting. Hi, Scott, I'm glad you're here, and I hope to see you at another meeting. And that was the whole pitch. Um, See, what I was doing is I would go up to newcomers and I would say, Hi, I'm Charlie, and expect that to work. And the reality is is that they just met ten other people. They can't remember those names. Why would my name suddenly strike somebody sober? But when I remembered their name, that clicked. And the next meeting they would look for me. And then the next meeting I would take them around and introduce them to people. And Sometimes they'd ask one of those losers to sponsor them. But a lot of times... <laughs> um, a lot of times I would hang on to them and I would get guys and I'm, and I'm sponsoring guys. I'm sponsoring all these guys. And in Auburn, California, I was broke. I couldn't get two dimes to rub together, but I started sponsoring a ton of guys. And a fellowship grew up around me. And it grew up around me like this. It was impossible to fall out of. I was being held up by those guys. The, uh, I had about, I'm not kidding you, I had a lot of sponsees. And uh, one guy after a meeting, he walked. He comes up to me and he says, you know, hey, I'd like you to sponsor me. And I didn't like this guy. I didn't like him. You ever see somebody, as soon as you see him, you don't like him? Some of you may have had that experience tonight. But, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but I didn't like this guy. And he comes up after the meeting and says, you know, I really need somebody to work with. Would you work with me? Can you sponsor me? <laughs> and I go, well, I'm sponsored about 20 guys right now. I don't know how to possibly, you know, I don't want to shortchange you, blah, blah, blah. So later that night, uh, I'm talking to my sponsor. <laughs> and he said, it, that story came up. And he said, why don't you sponsor him? And I said, well, I didn't like him. And he got real quiet. Then he goes, uh, do you think I liked you? <laughs> He said, he said that if I just sponsor guys I like, I wind up with a bunch of coffee buddies. And I don't, I don't get any of those stupid questions like, uh, hey, I just met a girl at the free clinic, you know. Or, uh, is amyl nitrate really a drug? Um, anyway, I only got a few minutes left with you. I'd like to tell you what's happened to me in sobriety. And, and I'm, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version <laughs> the, uh, and give you my two goals. Um, I got to move from Sun Valley, Idaho, to Jackpot, Nevada, to Reno, Nevada, where I picked up the lovely Irene, and then Auburn, California. And then in Auburn, California, we were broke, and we decided we really wanted to go places, but we didn't have any money. So I said, why don't we just go beautiful places and get crappy jobs there? We got crappy jobs here. So we started doing that. 
And we did that. We went to Sedona, Arizona, and, and we got jobs. And we did the same thing we did in Auburn, sponsored new guys and said hello to visitors. The visitor is one of the demographics that's in trouble a lot of times in Alcoholics Anonymous because a lot of times visitors show up and uh, while we expect them to be vacationing and maybe they're here to bury a a relative for all we know. So I'm real sensitive about visitors and newcomers. So if there's a visitor, I would like to come up and say hi and welcome them and find out why they're there. So I started, we started, did that in Sedona, and we got a little pocket of enthusiasm. And then one day we were on vacation in Cabo San Lucas, and it's pretty. So we moved, and uh, we lived there for a while and sponsored some people. Um, and then uh, we went to Bend, Oregon, Sisters, Oregon, beautiful spot. We went there because we wanted to. It was not geographic. We said, this place is great, so we moved there. And then uh, it got cold. <laughs> so we moved to Boca Raton, Florida. And we lived there for a while. Then we got a job in, back in Cabo, moved to Todos Santos, Mexico. And then in 07, my sister and my dad passed away, my stepdad that my mom was married to for 30-plus years. And since that time, we've been living in Las Vegas, taking care of mama. That's what we do. Um, two minutes. I could tell my whole story in two minutes. <laughs> I used to drink and now I don't. My life used to suck and now it's great. Um, I have two goals in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> Just two. One is I want to be more like my dog. And if you've heard me talk before, I always talk about my dog. I got the greatest dog. It's half Shih Tzu, half Pomeranian. It's a Shih Tzuranian, I guess. And, uh, um, and it's the happiest dog you ever saw in your life. Some people here have met my dog. And I got to tell you, when you... When I come home, he's like, oh, God, that's my favorite thing. Everything is his favorite thing. Everything that he does is his favorite thing. I come home, oh, it's my favorite thing. I take him out in the yard, he pees on a bush. Oh, this is my favorite thing. You know, take him for a walk. You could just tell it's his favorite thing. And I want to be like that. And Chuck C. used to talk about that, talk about focusing on what you're doing to the exclusion of everything else. He said, guys that work for a week and they work five days for a paycheck lose five days and gain two for the weekend. He says, if they do everything, they just focus everything and do that like it's their favorite thing, they get to live every day. And that's what I want to do. I want to live every day like it's my favorite thing. Just my favorite thing. And the other is I want to be transparent. And that's not an easy thing, but uh, whatever impression you have of me up here is the right impression. I I don't want to change it. If you don't like me, it's because you don't like me. It's not because you don't like somebody who's standing up here trying to be somebody you'll like. Now, the cool thing is, if you like me, it's an easy job. (laughs) I just continue being like I am, and we'll get along fine. Alcoholics Anonymous, i got to tell you, I love every one of you. I love each and every one of you. And Alcoholics Anonymous, there's nothing you can do about it. I love you. I absolutely love you because you're an alcoholic. And I love you for that. And we have this common thread that binds us together. Like the total opposite of what I had before I found Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a common thread between all of us. And what I mean by I love you all is real simple. I don't like everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you like everybody in AA, you better go to some more meetings. Uh, but, but, I, but I love you. And all it means is, is that if, if, uh, if you call me up at 2 in the morning, even if I don't like you, and you said, Charlie, I'm thinking about drinking, I would be there. Let's go get some coffee. And I know for a fact that if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I called you at 2 in the morning, and I said, I'm thinking about drinking, you'd be there. 